0: I uh, start able
1: the to... first series in the second half. We have a penalty. Um, you know, I thought we were better with the penalties, but the minus plays put us behind the chains. I felt like we were third and long too much. And uh, this, the part that I, I, I'm frustrated with myself is that we, we became one-dimensional and, uh, and I know better. Um, so I have to be more patient relative to how we run the ball. And it was that type of game. And here we are back again for another post-game edition of the Not Another Bucking Podcast. We come to you after Denver's latest loss, a 31-21 setback to the New York Jets uh, in Week 5. The Broncos dropped to 1-4 and overall, and they have now lost all three of their home games despite having a halftime lead in each of those three games. The teams that they have um, lost to, uh, the Raiders... The commanders and now the Jets have a combined record this season of uh, let's see, that's three and six for the uh, the AFC opponents. You add in the two and three record for the commanders, and that brings you to uh, five and nine. So, oh, and three at home against teams that are collectively five and nine this season. And, um, yeah, as we get going here, I'm Nick Kosmider, ho- host of the podcast alongside producer Kaz joining us again tonight, post game as usual. And um, Matt, I think the thing that um, stood out to me in this game was, you know, there's nothing five weeks into the season that the Broncos can hang their hat on at this point, something that they can week in and week out, be able to depend on in a positive light. That is, there's certainly some things that we have come to expect um, in a negative fashion, from these Broncos, i.e., allowing teams to absolutely gut you on the ground, um, you know, fizzling on your opening drive of the third quarter despite getting it every single time to start the second half, like those are the those are the negatives we've come to count on. But there's nothing that this team puts forth, like on a week to week basis, that that you say because they do this, they're going to give themselves a good chance, and it's five weeks now and they have not been able to identify that, that thing. There's no consistent running game. There's no um, you know, consistent package of plays that you just know are going to hit every single time. There's, there's been nothing that they can hang their head on and say, this is our identity. And I think that five weeks into the season to me, Matt has been the biggest failure of the Sean Payton era to this point, that they have not been able to build anything that they can call their own as a football team. And and what that leads to is just week in and week out where you're grasping at straws when Sunday arrives. You know, they, Sean Payton's known for his preparation. That They, they prepared – I think they prepared reasonably well. The opening scripts are great, but that's such a small portion of, of, of the game. And, again, they just have not been able to, to count on anything week in and week out, and, and this is where it leaves them.
0: Yeah, and I mean – the opening scripts can be can be great, but if before your offense touches the ball, you've already muffed a punt and given up points, then you know just giving away extra possessions that really don't need to happen is just never going to be a recipe for success. I felt like the offense at times did enough in the first half. Um, you know, they had moments, they put up some points. Jaleel McLaughlin again is looking when he gets the ball and, and is decisive in his in his cuts. He looks fantastic. Um, they got away from the running game a little bit today, like we heard Sean Payton talking about. But there, there have been glimpses. But like you said, they just haven't been able to put together four full quarters of football. Uh, we see, we see glimpses of it. But until you can put it out there for four full quarters, there's going to you're going to continue to look like you did today against the New York Jets, which is not a, anything that anybody in that organization is going to be proud of.
1: Yeah, you know, and at at this point, you know, the Broncos have. The, you know, they're tied for the worst record in the AFC. They would, they would lose that tiebreaker to, to the Raiders, of course, because they've, or I guess win it if it's a battle for, <laughs> for draft positioning that we're already talking about here on October 8th. Um, so Raiders played tomorrow night. So they're, they're one, they're just one in three. So Broncos, um, you're one in four. Patriots are one in four. Um, so either way, they're, they're at the bottom, bottom of the conference. They're one of only a handful of one in four teams. There's a fair amount the Cardinals, the Bears, the Giants. Uh, Panthers, of course, are 0 and five. But anyway, you cut it right now. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL. And look, we—I didn't, you know, I, we didn't expect Sean Payton to come and turn this into a juggernaut overnight. Um, and and I think, you know, I predicted them to go eight and nine to miss the playoffs um, once again. But but certainly seeing some of those things that you want to be building toward. But we just we just haven't seen it. And, and part of that is, look, th- this is a roster that has been part of, you know, the second longest playoff, you know, drought in the NFL behind the Jets. Um, so we knew that that this team simply hasn't been good enough because they haven't had the results. Right. No matter what they do at the coaching level, um, they haven't had enough. And, and so certainly you were going to see some of the exodus of players. They turned over the roster a good deal in the offseason. They've continued to turn it over as the season has begun by cutting, you know, or trading Randy Gregory, things of that nature. But again, the the thing to me that has been surprising is just the 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 lack of identity. And you talk about it, yeah, offensively they did do some good things, but they get down in the red zone twice they reach the Jets five yard line. And this is sort of where Peyton's, you know, his his sort of preparation, his execution of play calling in that space of the field is supposed to kind of help set you apart. And instead the play calling there was really funky They're, you know, they're throwing these, there's these wide receiver screens on the edge. Like you, you went and paid $82 million so that you could be a physical running team. And, and Samaj Perine, Ryan, I think touches the ball once in those seven snaps they took inside the 10 yard line on those two drives. Um, so to me, it was just, it was just kind of play calling that didn't fit. And you, you score six points when you have a chance to score 14 and really kind of like put, you know, put them down early. And they, they blew those opportunities they are actually lucky to be up 13 to eight at halftime because the jets are deep into the deep into Broncos territory. Um, you know, they're trying to score a, a touchdown, but, but at least get a field goal. They end up throwing the ball in bounds, not having time to spike the ball. They, so that they miss a chance to get points right at the end of the half. Um, but, but the Broncos just did not capitalize on enough of their opportunities. And I got a stat for you, Matt. They, they ran, um, their first 16 play, they ran 16 plays in the second half before they finally picked up a first down those 16 plays amassed a total of minus 19 net yards uh that was that that was over the course of six drives um the, the first four four drives ended in three and outs the other drive ended in a two play and, and fumble opportunity um what from you like watching the game from from home from your perspective like what how did this team just be so lifeless in you know in, for the first you know six drives of this, of the second half.
0: I mean, it all, it all really does start up front. Um, the, when you, you saw them in the first half and they were actually moving the football you're Jaleel McLaughlin's five yards down the field before he, before he makes contact with anybody, they're getting a good push up front. They're getting, uh, open running lanes and then turning that into the play action pass. Those are the kind that is what this team does. Well, when you can establish that run, then, then good things happen because, Otherwise, all that's going to happen is that the team sit back, they cover the wide receivers, they give you the dink, the dink and dunk routes if they can come up and make the tackle. And then it's just, can your line block the front the front pass rush? And the answer today overwhelmingly was not really. Um, they gave up four sacks again, um, and they were lucky that it was only four sacks. Russell yeah. Wilson was running around like a madman the entire the entire day and never seemed to have his feet set in the pocket today. And one of the things that we've kind of – applauded him for over the last few weeks has been that he was getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Even if it was those checks downs to the running backs, the short passes to the wide receivers and tight ends, we will take those in this offense. We'll take the four, five yards, the forward momentum, the sacks, the holding onto the ball in the end zone for like four seconds before like a half-ass throwing away. Like those are things that those are negative like plays in this offense, like this offense isn't designed to make up for, like if you have an offense like the dolphins, you can expect, you can have a third and 15 and be like, yeah, we got a shot. Like the Broncos aren't the kinds of teams, the kind of team that's going to regularly convert a third and 15, a third and 12. Like those, that's not what this offense is designed to do. And it's not what you want them to be doing. You need to have those, those negative plays are just absolutely horrendous for this offense.
1: Yeah, they, they really are. They're not, they're not built to, they're not built to dig out of any kind of any kind of hole and that's where Sean Payton sort of chided himself today because he said I know what this team is if we're one dimensional and it's not you know I, that's that's true of every team but you're right it's especially true of this team and it's again like i i think there's been encouraging things from from Russell Wilson he, he has some some core competencies that that allow you to do things offensively if you're using him in the right way and we've seen that for a good chunk of this season but again it's like when it comes to having to having to sort of make plays without the the benefit of just like, yeah, that, that run game, that, that um, you know, that script kind of opening things up Um, he save for the the fourth quarter against the bears. He's just not been able to kind of lift them. And he did not get a lot of help today. You mentioned it. Like their interior was, I mean, that jets front is really good. Um, As Mike McGlinchey was saying in the locker room to us afterwards, like, the, the, the way that they rotate guys in and out and, and essentially everybody they bring in is kind of like hellish in the, in the way that they get off the ball. It's a, it's a real challenge, but it made it all the more, um, I think frustrating if you're watching them as an offense, that they weren't, that they weren't sort of acknowledging the fact that they needed to, yeah, establish the run, do things to keep their quarterback a little bit more protected. Um, and and they just, they just got away from it so quickly. Like that was the thing that was staggering. They, they, they immediately start playing like they're chasing two or three scores. Like, even after they go three and out, they have a five-point lead, they go three and out. Um, Bryce Hall hits for a 72-yard run, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and so now you're down you're down 15 to 13. Well, you you go th- so you're only down two, but they they get into this mode, they get a holding on first down on the next drive, they're they're chasing it again, and, and you punt, you, they, they go down and score a field goal. Now you're down eighteen to thirteen. Broncos get um, get a break. The the Jets fumble their punt. The Broncos take over at the Jets' 39 yard line. They're only down five in, in prime position to go score a touchdown and take the lead. And they fumble the ball on an, on an end to round play that just really kind of looked clunky from the start. Um, it just felt so mismatched, the, the, the game plan today. And, um, you know, I, I it's the middle of the field. You're early in the down. You try to take a shot or whatever the case might be. But yeah, poor execution, poor game planning. And um, yeah, it just got them.
0: Yeah, and to kind of contrast that with what the Jets were doing, um, you know, the second to last drive in the first half, the Jets come out, they ran the ball nine straight times for 67 yards. Yeah. Like, and they the Broncos just had no answer. Like, it wasn't until they started throwing the ball again that they finally got a stop and held them to a field goal.
1: Yeah. And then in the it was second, third and, yeah. third and long in the red zone, so they kind of had to throw. And right.
0: Then, yeah. At some point, you, you got to throw, but that's when you know they're finally able to make a stop. But like, if you established McLaughlin as, as you know, consistently hitting on these big runs. Like he had, what was it? Four carries of greater than 15 yards today, three or four. And it was, you know, and yet then they just basically completely ignore him in the second half. They don't get him the ball out in space on any kind of screen passes that like, and like they, then once they're into that throwing down, they seem to want to move to Samaj Rine as for more pass protection because they were getting absolutely blown up and then Samaj P Ryan just whiffs on a couple of big blocks in a row, including the one where was Russell Wilson ultimately gets strip sacked and uh returned for a, a touchdown um you know the, the, there were a couple just completely missed blocks there that just really put the the offense in a hole and it was not not impressive
1: yeah yeah and and so the Jets did run the ball. And one of the things that had stuck out to me in the preparation for this, this week was when Justin Simmons was talking about, like, this is what, this was what teams do when they find a weakness, they're going to continue to hit that bruise over and over again. And so they knew going into this game that, you know, a hall was, is a really great running back and he was like no longer on this restriction that they had kind of kept on him since he was coming back from that ACL surgery injury that he suffered um, uh, coincidentally in Denver Last year, um, right after he had had another one of these long touchdown runs against the Broncos, uh, but they had seen a team that gave up obviously 350 rushing yards to the Dolphins in Week Three, uh, 171 rushing yards to the to the uh, Bears in Week Four, uh, even going back to the to the Commanders game in Week Two, they gave up 122 rushing yards. Um, so knew that it was going to be a point of emphasis and. Matt, you're, I just I'm just having a hard time understanding why every single time these teams run this outside zone against the Broncos, they're out of gap. They're out of they're they're not in the right gap. On on the hall 72 yard run, there was not a single player within within range to touch him. What is it? Is it is that defensive lineman getting pushed off the ball? Is it linebackers running to the wrong hole? Like what what is why are they why are teams being able to so easily gut what the Broncos are doing right now?
0: A big part of it starts with that interior line. Again, I mentioned it earlier. It all kind of starts up front. And for as great, as great of a start as Nick Benito got off to in, in the front line, um, you know, he got two sacks in the first quarter, drew another holding penalty that would have been a third set coming off of a two-and-a-half-sack game last week. Um, there were a couple of plays where he clearly was was a little overcommitted to the rush, it looked like. Um, and that, that, on like specifically on that outside zone, you have to be able to set that edge as the the outside – or as the outside presence there. And when that is, when you're consistently getting beat off that edge, that's kind of where it starts is that outside linebacker position in the their base defense. Um, and I, it's easy to, it's easy to say that, you know, the, <laughs> they're going to, that it, you know, Oh, it's just us missing our gaps. It's, you know, the defense isn't quite playing up to it, but at some point it has to be that, somebody just has to make a play you have to be in the right position and somebody has to get to kind of you know grip it and be like you know what no this we need to step up we need to hit this hole hard there there has been almost no tackling by the secondary it has seemed like it, you know anytime that, you know that you're out in space the secondary you know i don't know it hasn't been impressive at all the tackling so um i think that it starts with that outside line it starts with the guys on the, the the outside linebackers the interior defensive line and then secondary coming up and making tackles so that it's not 72 yards without getting touched. Yeah. Um, in, in the worst case and it, scenario.
1: To your point it certainly hurt them that they did not have DJ Jones in the second half. He, he suffered an injury toward the end of the second quarter. Um, he, cause he had had a play early on. Like they were impressive the first couple drives. drives um, like DJ Jones shed a block. And I think that the first play of the game and, and tackles Brees Hall for a loss, um, you know, so they were, they were prepared for what was, what was coming. But once, it's, 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 you know, this happens, you see it, but once the, once the momentum started going New York's way, it, it just, it, you start to, you know, have confidence as, as an offensive line. And to your point about the nine rushes on that, on that drive in the first half, like you just start having, it's like a, it's it's like fun for this offensive line. I've talked mm-hmm. to a lot about this before. Like when you get to play that way, it's like the best, that's what you want to do as an offensive line. You don't want to sit there and like be on your heels and and, and have some guy that's Two two sixty runs a four three like and you got to try to keep him from from being an athletic freak like nobody really wants to do that they they want to run block and so especially
0: especially when you have a line that's been beat up and the Jets offensive line took a couple knocks today or took a couple licks today during the line and had to switch some bodies around but being able to commit to the run and not have to put those guys back on their heels blocking and pass protection definitely served them well uh, given
1: yeah. The Well, especially, I mean, they, they know, they know what the deal is with Zach Wilson, right? Like he's got talent, like he, he can run. He, he, I think that's like one thing that underrated about him a little bit is he's able to like take the ball down and run. He's athletic. He can avoid the rush. Uh, He's got a big arm as we all know. Um, But it's just the certain things, like the decisions you don't, you don't need, like you have no reason to be trying to challenge Pat Sertan in the red zone when you're, when you're protecting a three point lead with about two and a half minutes to go, like just unnecessary. And, you know, luckily for, for him, that didn't cost them the game because the Broncos end up getting to about midfield. And then as we mentioned, Russell Wilson gets sacked, fumbles the ball. Um, you know, it just, um, yeah, I, I don't know the, the the total for the Broncos allowed on the ground through five games is 938 yards rushing. That's the most by a team through five games in the NFL since the jets gave up 954 way back in 2002. So this is like the worst rushing defense start in two decades. Um, there's plenty of other defensive markers that, that you look at and say that this has been a historically poor defense to this point in the year. And look, Matt, I, I, I don't know that they're going to make a move um, coaching-wise because, again, Vance Joseph and, and what's going on there – you know, it's, it's not all on him and players have come to his defense. They've said that they said, listen, like we look at the tape, it's guys making the wrong plays. It's has it's, it's us missing tackles. But again, it's, it's part of the business and the Broncos are one in four. Again, they've lost all three games at home. Um, at, at a certain point, you 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 take a really hard look at everything and say, look, this, this might just not be working. It's not going to obviously happen this week. The Broncos have three days of rest before they have to go face the defending champion chiefs. But, I mean, Matt, like, is there any, like, what, when you watch this, like, is there anything to to cling to, uh, hope-wise, for the Broncos at this point?
0: I mean, honestly, at this point, you start clinging to what are our, our young players doing well? What are we developing guys into to do well down the road? And you yeah. see guys like Jaleel McLaughlin playing really well in the backfield. You see Nick, guys like Nick Benito um, playing really well on the edge in pass rush um you know marvin not necessarily the best game to take a look at marvin mems he didn't have the the, yeah. the best day today um but you do have and like that i think is what when you see things like that it reminds you just when you build through the draft and you hit on some of these players that is when teams can really start to capitalize on it. it's like the adding players through veteran or through free agency has to be like your fixing that one hole, fixing this one glaring need, we bring in a free agent to fix. You have to build through the draft in this league to have a chance to be consistent. And with as much draft capital as this team's traded away in the last couple of years, that's been nearly impossible for them to do. So, you look at the at what this team has on the roster, you think about uh, you know, how this could look two years down de- or next year, maybe the year after that with a couple a couple years in the Sean Payton offense, you start to take that that uh that's solace. I, I got a question for you though, Nick. I know that we've talked that this is not I don't think a Russell Wilson it's not solely Russell Wilson's responsibility that the team's not playing well. But at the same time, you're not winning games with Russell Wilson. And if at some point, if you don't ha- if you're not going to be able to win with Russell, you have to find out whether or not you can you have something in Jarrett Stenham that you're gonna look for down the road. How long do you think they are they make it playing like this? Cause you look, they play the chiefs two, next two weeks. They have the Packers in between. So maybe best case scenario, you go into the buy at two and six, maybe three and five, if you're still a chiefs, but realistically one and seven or two and six, how long is that leash for Russell?
1: Yeah. I mean, the way that I look at it though, is the biggest thing that you, that they're going to have to sort of figure out is, is whether they think that Russell Wilson is, is a viable option for them for a couple more seasons after this one, because again, we've talked about this. We've talked about the, the kind of the, the guarantee date for his 2025 contract is on the fifth day of the next league year. So next March, they have to then decide, Hey, we are going to pick, you know, he's going to be on the roster. So he's going to have that $37 million guaranteed in 2025. So it's not just about saying, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to go back with this for another um, you know, for another year as we kind of sort of build up somebody young and then see you sort of have to make that 2025 decision. Now I will say this, they don't, they could, they could pick that up. They could, they could guarantee that that portion of the contract and then just, just go through 2024 and then, and then still cut him, maybe do a post June one designation over the 25 season, the 26 season. So it's not, it's not an end all to say like, Hey, if they, if they pick, if, if they let him be on the roster in 2024, he's going to be their quarterback all the way through the end of 2025. That's not necessarily the case, but, but that, again, that trigger there is something to keep an eye on. And so I think that being said, I think they want to, they still want to, I think, get enough information about him because choosing to move on from him is such a huge, like organizational decision in terms of the, the finances that the pinch you, you have to, you have to have a deep understanding of what it's going to do. uh, Salary cap wise, what you're going to be able to afford and not afford over the seasons to follow. If you make that decision at quarterback. And then also obviously what is your, what is your plan at the quarterback position going forward? Because as bad as the Broncos are right now, I I mentioned it a a few minutes ago, like the the list of teams that are in that one in four, whatever, whatever range, um, is it's, it's heavy. So like, are you going to get the number one overall pick? And, and if you're like number two, like what can you afford to give up to, to go get a quarterback that makes it all worth it? So it's such a, it's such a complex nuanced decision to have to be made. And, you know, obviously you, but you hit the thing there. It's like, you pay this guy, you gave up this draft capital and whether it's his fault or not, you're not, you're not winning games. And so Sooner or later, they will have to make the decision to say, as, as much as it's financial, we have to move on to the next thing. Like we have to reset the organization at this point, which obviously moving on from a contract like that is is an organizational reset. And, and what that would ultimately maybe finally allow them to do after this like seven, eight years of wandering since winning Super Bowl 50 is is no longer being able to run from the reality that you are at a hard reset, that you are in a, in a hard rebuild. Um, because for too long, this team has, has pretended that it's not and, or, or, or refused to embrace one. And, and that's what gets you these results where they sort of like teetered on mediocrity, you know, six and 10, six and 11, whatever the case might be. Um, in 2021 got as close as they've been to like competing. They were seven and six, um, had Cincinnati at home, had a chance to win that. But ever since then it's gone, it's gone straight downhill and, they're still having all these expensive players on their roster, all these veterans who have done nothing here but but lose. And again, it's not that's not you know it's not a personal knock on saying it's anybody's one fault, but at a certain point you have all these players who just have never been a part of success here and you have to take a good hard look at all of it. Um, bottom line, I, I don't think a Russell Wilson benching or something of that nature would come. Anytime soon, if you're if you're wanting to see Jared Stidham and you're thinking you might make that decision in the off season, I think that would come the last couple of weeks of the season, depending on everybody's health. But uh, again, they need to see just whether Russell Wilson could be a part of what they're trying to do. But uh, there's there's a lot of decisions to be made. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so. But um, anyway, I think that, that that's a good place to leave it. I, I think the thing that we'll talk about when we come back here, um, you know, middle of the week, we'll preview the Chiefs game, um, obviously, which is Thursday night. Um, you know, obviously the, the, the big question there um, is uh, can they end this 15 game losing streak against the Chiefs? I, I, I don't think that um, they've gone into one of these Chiefs matchup with sort of less like pop optimism. juice, optimism for that matchup, um, which may, hey, maybe that's the thing, right? May, you know, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are just kind of like doing their thing where they're not really, you know, they're not really humming on all cylinders, and yet here they are at four and one. Um,
0: but they're running the ball well.
1: They're running the ball well, and that's you know that's about all it will take
0: <laughs> against the Broncos. Um,
1: you know, for most teams, it seems like it's it's going to be hard to envision something for Denver um, to, to be able to kind of do anything to stop that offense. But um, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it all, and then and then and also get into um, what we're, what we're looking at with this trade deadline, because yeah, I, I think the Russell Wilson decision is one that's going to be kicked down the road a little bit, but they, they're going to have to make some decisions and probably already are on a couple players on this roster, um, in terms of deciding whether or not they want to move them, get some of this draft capital back that they need to have to start building through this draft. You look at Jerry Judy is probably the, the, the player on the roster with the most value, you know, non Patrick Sertan addition, um, that, that they could, you know, that they could potentially dangle in a trade second rounder, third rounder, whatever the case might be. I mean, Judy is the team's best wide receiver, but it's an, it's another situation where it's like, he's the best wide receiver, but we're one in four, you know? So, uh, and, and he's got that, that fifth year option, um, next year that they already picked up, um, you know, but by trading him, you would get off of that salary for next year. Um, so there's just a lot, a lot to think about and we'll, we'll get into what, that all, um, next week, Matt, any, any more prevailing thoughts from, um, from this one, I,
0: just that I agree that October 31st is that trade deadline. And I think that that's going to be next time that Broncos fans have something to be real excited about.
1: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Obviously the Broncos have have traded a star in each of the last two trade deadlines It was Von Miller in 2021. It was Bradley Chubb last year um you know they traded a guy they thought was going to be a star for them and Randy Gregory certainly never turned out that way but um he now gets to play for um for a contender so i think he's he's the big winner of the week here um for for the, in, in bronco land but uh we'll get into it all again next week but in, in the meantime thanks you thank you guys for um you know for listening this morning um and we will be back soon uh take care